really, really, this is the one game that we don't do a watch party for. Mm-hmm. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a particularly happy episode of Lombardi Time Brews, where I'm your host, John Delray. Today, we are diving into the Packers' victory over the Detroit Lions on Thanksgiving. So I do hope that you had an absolutely wonderful Thanksgiving. Hope the Packers win made that even a little bit better. Hope you had a great Black Friday as well, if that's a holiday for you. But we are talking Packers today, and holy Packers, <laughs> what a victory for the Green Bay Packers to continue a climb to playoffs? Dare I say, maybe we got to talk about that in a couple weeks. Of course, still a number of tests remain, still a lot of progress to go through, but the team that won yesterday is certainly not the team that we saw at the beginning of the year, so progress is indeed having. You know, I was asked, I think it was last week, but either way, fairly recent, about, you know, what is one of the top things that I've got to see before the end of the year to call this year a success. And I said, yeah, obviously the, the really obvious stuff, Jordan Love's got to continue to improve, prove he's the man, uh, growth from young guys, etc. But like the number one thing in my mind was I wanted to see an upset victory that this young team could show that they have learned how to win and assert themselves over an opponent that many people perceive as better. They did it. I wasn't expecting it this early. As if you recall my game preview, I was fairly melancholy when it came to this game. Certainly, even I didn't think the Packers really stood much of a chance in this one. And yet, maybe we shouldn't have doubted them in spite of how logical it, it might have been. And, you know, here's the thing. Not that this level can necessarily be maintained week in and week out. But especially for the young guys on the roster, this is now proof to us, to the NFL, to themselves, that they can play that well. And that that is now what they need to be working to achieve week in and week out. That they don't have to be basement dwellers just because they're learning or just because they're young. No, the baby Packers are capable of competing right now. And now, not just competing, but the baby Packers are capable of winning right now. They may start to believe that more and more themselves. The win was not perfect, but it was incredible. The defense made plays, the offense was electric, and special teams even made the stops when they needed to, including against a fake punt, which historically for the Packers hasn't been great. So all around a great performance. My, my final thought here before we really get into the topics is I put this out on Twitter right after the game. 17 players on the injury report, an entire secondary of backups, no Jones, no Alexander, no Campbell. Short week, division-leading opponent, on the road, national television. What a win. Go Paco is the only thoughts left after that. So let's do a quick review of the keys for this game. What I thought was going to be really, really important for the Packers to achieve in order to get this improbable victory. Key number one was embrace being the underdog. And I would say that they certainly did end around to Jaden Reed, a little bit of trickeration from the offense, but especially the defense. 
those secondary members, a lot of them may have been backups, but they were flying all over the field. Offensively, they were aggressive. Matt LaFleur seemed to actually embody his all gas, no break persona that we haven't necessarily seen since like his first year, truly in Green Bay. They adapted the underdog persona, which is a real achievement because I think you can point to too many games in the Matt LaFleur era and say, maybe they were a little complacent. Maybe they weren't really ready to play. They were yesterday. All credit where it's due. Key number two, tackle, tackle, tackle. Kinda. Like, they kinda got this one. I deliberately mentioned that the Packers could not have 12 missed tackles again. They had exactly 12 missed tackles against the Lions, and yet it was a successful day overall for the defense. So while the number of misses may be high, what the Packers did do better than almost any other game this year was truly swarm the ball carrier, not leave guys on an island to make a one-on-one -on -one tackle attempt, but truly play as one unit on defense when it came to bringing down the ball carrier. Anthony Johnson Jr. in the secondary, Jonathan Owens, both of them and kind of displayed this impressive burst into their tackles, which is something that's really been missing from the Packers secondary for a long time on a consistent basis. So it's really refreshing to see. Overall, the missed tackles is still too high. You want to see them bring down that number a little bit. But the overall tackling as a team was improved. Key number three, let love fly. Oh, they absolutely did. Love finished 22 of 32 for 268 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, while being the Thanksgiving player of the game. We're going to talk about the offense a bunch more in just a little bit, but the game plan really kind of realized, all right, A.J. Dillon is back, to, is banged up. We got Patrick Taylor. Then we got James Robinson. Oh, Lordy, what are we going to do? We're going to let Love fly. And he did. And it was really, really good to see. Number four. Can't play a predictable defense and must get after Jared Goff. So, like, let's call this a half and half because ultimately a number of the coverages that the Packers rolled out were still very predictable. I mean, like, still Joe Barry's defense on full display at times in the coverage schemes. But on the flip side, they accomplished the back half in getting after Jared Goff. Coming into the game, Goff was being pressured on about 33% of his dropbacks. I said the Packers would need to at least maintain that number in order to stand a chance because Goff is a much different quarterback under pressure than when kept clean. He did it. In fact, Goff was pressured on 52% of his dropback. 50, he was pressured more than half of the time when he dropped back. It's it's incredible. And the big thing, right, coming out of this game is like, whoa, Rashawn Gary was the pass rush, but it wasn't just Rashawn Gary. Kenny Clark was credited with eight pressures. Kenny Clark is back, y'all. He had a pretty good game against the Chargers. Now, Kenny Clark is rounding back into form. I think we can say that. Then Carl Brooks had five. Preston Smith had five. All of them, weirdly, had more than Rashawn Gary, who officially logged four per PFF, but four might have been a little misunderstanding. That's a weird word. Well, you get where I'm going. I think it was low for Sean Gary. Okay. So the Green Bay's front overall was a menace like it needed to be. The coverage, yeah, Joe Barry still Joe Barry, but they at least accomplished half. So let's go to the shout outs and the get outs. The players deserving of extra credit accolade shout out. And then maybe the schemes, the players, the whatever that uh, we could do without. So 
number one. That would be quarterback Jordan Love. He's becoming a staple on the shout-out list because this is really four weeks in a row that we can say, like, you can argue about the super fine, like, splitting hair details about, like, well, maybe he was slightly better in the Chargers game than the Lions game. Whatever. It's four straight weeks that Jordan Love now is progressing or has arrived being a more than competent NFL quarterback. His worst completion on the day was probably his first one, that deep ball to Christian Watson, the 50-yard completion that, yes, was admittedly very underthrown. But Watson, and his credit, different shout-out later, but to his credit, made the play. The thing is, the processing overall with Jordan Love, you see it. It's getting quicker. The decision-making, stronger. The hesitation, less. The confidence, more. He's looking really, really good, both statistically and with the eye test. Basically, in my opinion, Russ Ball is probably starting to get the rough drafts of what an extension could be ready. And I'll say this too, like we've wanted the flashes to become more consistent, for the flashes to begin outweighing the throws where you go, oh, that's not what he meant to do. But it's beginning to happen. He, like the Packers, needed a marquee win to truly announce his arrival. And I think like each one of us, if we've been following the Packers long enough, probably has a single game of like Aaron Rodgers tenure right now. I'm not old enough to remember a specific game with Brett Favre, but when it came to Aaron Rodgers, I remember one distinct game where I sat back and went, he's him. We're going to be okay. Maybe for a lot of people, this was Jordan Love's game. That's a big deal. I'm ready to say it. Let's lock him up. Let's make him the quarterback of the future. Maybe you're not there yet, but he looks good. Number two in the shout-out category, Malik Heath. Not the biggest statistical day. Like, don't get me wrong, but also not the biggest snap day. And I did not realize that in a live watching of the game. Malik Heath finished the game playing 11 snaps on offense. That's it. 11 snaps. Six of those snaps were run plays. He was run blocking. So that leaves five snaps that this man played. Five snaps. In that five snaps on passing plays, he logged four targets, four catches, and 46 yards. <laughs> That's stupid. Like, not only is that 80% targets, but it's he caught everyone. It's 80% targets with 100% catch rate. That's stupid efficient. The man played five passing snaps on the four catches, 46 yards. And the thing is, too, on those six run blocking snaps, if you go back and watch, he was doing some good work run blocking, too. This was a complete performance by a down-the-roster UDFA wide receiver five on the team. Like Really, really great work. And if he continues to put on performances like this and Watson and Dobbs and Reed, like really, really encouraging. If they've got that set of guys and they know that they can do it consistently and fit the unique roles that they're beginning to do, wide receiver becomes really, really, really far down the list of team needs as we head into the offseason. Number three, Jonathan Owens. I, I know. I know the telecast remarked it several times, but he was everywhere throughout the game. He, he actually was. And he was last week on the get-out list because, yeah, it was rough last week. Remember that 
50-yard touchdown to Stone Smart that I'm still a little anxious about. But, hey, like Jonathan Owens more than recovered for it yesterday. He officially logged 12 combined tackles with only one miss and only allowed 16 yards receiving on the plays that he was targeted in coverage. This is a great performance for the fill-in safety. Do I think it's sustainable? Do I think that Jonathan Owens is the future at safety now? Nope. But we can identify greatness even if it's brief. And Jonathan Owens played pretty freaking great yesterday. Number four, Sean Gary. I mean, come on, you knew it was coming, right? The Packers paid Rashawn Gary like a superstar not too long ago, and deservedly so. And he hasn't been bad since the contract extension. No, not by any means. And it's not even like I was sitting there wondering like, oh boy, there's something to really be desired since he signed the contract extension. No, he hasn't played bad. But yesterday, he played like a superstar. He was all over one of the best offensive lines in the league, exerting pressure really wherever he lined up. Here's his official PFF stat line. Four pressures, three sacks, one hurry, three combined tackles with no misses, two forced fumbles, and four stops. That is influencing the game on your own for an edge rusher. I mean, what a day. And if you haven't seen it, I would encourage you to go to the Packers site and check out the video from where Matt LaFleur is awarding the game balls. Because there's there's kind of two videos around it. And, and one, he's announcing that the whole team is getting a game ball, which I thought was an incredibly cool gesture for the head coach. But also he gives a special one to Rashawn Gary, noting that it's been a year for Rashawn. That, that turf in Detroit is where he tore his ACL. And what a year back. For Sean Gary to go out on that same turf and have that kind of performance. And then Rashawn, after this big hug with Matt LaFleur, you could tell he was getting emotional. And he said, I'm sick of crying around you people. <laughs> Just like he did at the draft. The man is pure passion, pure emotion. He loves his team. Even go back and look at last week when when uh, when Rashawn Gary, <laughs> when Jordan Love was receiving a game ball, and Rashawn Gary to steal a line from Dead Poet Society, put out a barbaric yarp <laughs> in support of Jordan Love. The man is pure passion, pure emotion. I love Rashawn Gary. Love seeing him be successful. Love seeing that display of emotion. Rashawn Gary deserves all the shout-outs. Number five, our final shout-out from this game. Matt LaFleur and Christian Watson, kind of a duo here, but they work in tandem, really. Like, I was hoping, especially with the personnel being down, that this would be the development of seeing Watson not just run streaks and goes, but actually start running some quick stuff like he did last year. Some quick slants, some quick outs, whatever. Get the ball to him quickly like you did last year. And they did it. So this wasn't a perfect day by Watson. Like, they even acknowledged in the post-game presser, Jordan Love did, that there were some incorrect routes run by Christian, like specifically the touchdown pass to Jaden Reed, the impossible slant that occurred. Christian was not supposed to be where he was. That throw was not supposed to be that hard. But they utilized him in a different way. Slants, out, quick stuff. And it worked paired with the deep stuff. So really impressive for Matt LaFleur. A great day for Christian Watson. And I'll say this too, on ESPN, Dan Orlovsky noted, Matt LaFleur is returning to some of his roots, it looks like. And not only that, but he's beginning to figure out how to use all of the pieces he's got. And the pieces are actually appearing ready to embrace their roles. That's a beautiful thing that's beginning to sink up. 
Now, for the get-outs. Not too many here, just a few. But number one, Anders Carlson. Buddy, buddy, buddy. Look, missed extra point, missed field goal. It's two weeks in a row now. You're on this side of the list, buddy. And I have planted my flag on your hill. Don't, don't let me down. Like, seriously, consistency was an issue in training camp. Everyone was worried about it. It was an issue in his last year of college. And it's looking like an issue now. We got to get back to where he was earlier in the year. Because earlier in the year when the offense was broken, he was a bright spot. Now the offense is working and he's not a bright spot no more. Whatever is going on, how they have to find that consistency, it's got to start happening again. I don't need any more family members or anybody when I'm in line of memorabilia signings or practice or whatever. I don't need anybody else saying, I got to bring back Mason Crosby. Mm -hmm. Anders, I've supported you. Don't let me down, buddy. Seriously, like, make your kicks. Number two, Adam Stenovich, Luke Buckus, Matt LaFleur. Like, whoever is making the decision, okay, of continuing, continuing to trot out John Runyon Jr. at right guard. He was, again, PFF's lowest-rated offensive packer this week. While Sean Ryan, who only played 13 snaps, played competently in both pass pro and run blocking. Ryan has two years left. I'm going to say this again. Ryan has two years left. Runyon has half a season left. What are we waiting for? Ryan continues to play better than Runyon. Why are we valuing experience over good? Again, we should be learning from that, especially this year of all years. But they continue to trot out John Runyon Jr. and start him at right guard. It's, it's time. It's beyond time to pull the plug and make the switch. You know, the, the weird rotation that they're doing at left tackle with Yash and Rashid Walker, it's kind of working. Both of them are playing at about the same level. And then at right guard, they talked about like, well, yeah, they might do a rotation there too. Except they're not. It's not nearly as even a rotation as left tackle is. And they're giving the majority of the snaps to the wrong dude. Time to play Ryan Moore. Number three, the coverage against Sam Laporta. The backup secondary played pretty freaking well, though, like overall. Don't get me wrong. But it is important that there were still too many instances that a lion was just streaking wide open, like no one around him at all. Now, the pass rush did an exceptional job of getting to Jared Goff, making sure that he couldn't sit back and complete it to the guys who are wide open 20 yards down the field. But the fact that they were that open 20 yards down the field, I get it. Barry gonna bury. But the busted coverages have got to stop no matter who is back there. Overall, they deserve an accolade for playing pretty well and the circumstances that they were put in, especially against as explosive of an offense as Detroit is. But still too many times, especially when it came to tight end Sam Laporta, that you go back and watch it and there's Lions open. It's against, I'll say it this way. You can't bank on your pass rush to be so incredible, getting pressures on only half of drop or over half dropbacks every single week. You can't count on that. So your coverage has to be a little bit more sound. So ultimately, that's a get out. It's got to get short up. Number four. Last one. And then we're out of here. Number four. Fox. NFL on Fox. Fox Sports. Whatever. Why didn't Jordan Love get a turkey? You watch the other games. Members of the 49ers got a turkey. Players of the game. Sitting there doing that typical mowing down of the turkey thing. Dallas got one. Dak Prescott got a turkey leg. They even ate some freaking turkey before the game was done. Jordan Love doesn't deserve a turkey. 
You even noted when you ran up to him with a microphone in the post-game press conference and talked about how we don't have a turkey for you, but we'll make a donation. Somehow I think Fox can afford to do both. And whether it's Greg Olson's fault or whether they had a Detroit turkey prepared, whatever, don't care. The next time Jordan Love is playing on a game that is televised by Fox and he gets interviewed post-game, someone better have a freaking turkey leg for that guy. Okay? That's, that is my official stance on that. Jordan Love needs a turkey leg. It can be stupid. It can be silly. Whatever. It's dumb. Give him a freaking turkey leg. There's no reason not to. It's a John Madden game. Actually, follow through on a theme. Good Lord. All right. Thank you so much for joining me here on Lombardi Time, Bruce. Been a great time as always. Now, they're obviously a weird schedule right now, but on Monday, I'm going to be going live. That's right. No prepared video on Monday. We're going to go live instead. Monday afternoon, I'll be putting out an announcement this weekend with an exact time on Monday that I'll be going live. It will be late in the afternoon, probably like 4.30 like we typically do. So be on the lookout for that. Join me. Let's have some fun. Let's come back together. Let's talk Packers and live in this win together. Hope you had an unbelievably happy or whatever you needed it to be holiday. Hope it's a great weekend coming up for you now. And as always, Go Pack Go!